0: Downsizing is just another chapter in life. It's a time when you feel confident that your children have succeeded in their life's journey, that they will no longer need to come back to the nest. But how do you downsize effectively without taking all the material memories that have accumulated over the decades of living in the family home? Today, we're going to find out how. You're listening to Real Estate Right. Top experts talk about how to buy Sell, rent and invest right. Your host is Sue Langda. Have you got an Airbnb property? Have you heard of all the success stories and you're still waiting for your place to shine? Maybe it's in your copy. Are you attracting the best possible opportunities? At Real Copyright, we write amazing ad copy that gets 80 to 100% occupancy rates on city properties and 45% occupancy that is fully booked weekends and school holidays in regional properties. If you want results that deliver higher occupancy rates, better guests and longer stays, get Real Copyright to write your Airbnb copy, giving you more guests at your door. Call us now on 5977 8889 or check out our website www.realcopyright.com.au Miriam Sankula from Property Mavens is becoming a regular guest. Yes, she is a multi award winning buyer's agent and vendor advocate with franchised offices in Victoria, New South Wales and Queensland. Miriam is the best selling author of Property Prosperity and is an accredited property investment advisor. An innovator and thought provoker, welcome Miriam.
1: Thank you so much. So lovely to be here again.
0: Thanks so much for being here too. I'm glad to be talking to you today about how to downsize effectively. Now, we were just having a bit of a discussion about some um, horror stories of, of, you know, families doing their thing. Um, But, you know, just give us a little bit of a breakdown on how you've helped some downsizers. Maybe give us
1: a story. Yeah, absolutely. So we deal with a lot of people who are at different stages in their life, where they're either selling to upgrade or, obviously, selling to downsize. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really a case of coaching them and talking with them around what their future needs are. Mm-hmm. So, what do you need? What's your lifestyle? How do you see yourself? Is this your forever final move? Notwithstanding, one day there might be a you know a, an independent living facility or a nursing home you know in sight. Um, is it one of you, is it two of you, et cetera, et cetera. So you go through this whole process of helping them get really clear on what their needs are. And then it's about talking about the type of property that might fulfill that requirement. For a lot of people, they're looking for either um, villa units, something that's a single level, something that may be within the same suburb that they're currently in or a, a brand new apartment or an apartment that's sort of the size of a home, but something that can meet their needs low maintenance, lock up, single level, no worries about falling downstairs, anything like that. Uh, And then it's just a case of their budget and the suburb and their criteria and then off they go on the buying process, which we help them with as well. Sounds good. Lift access is always good if you
0: can uh, get a Get an apartment, but it's definitely a very um, interesting time of life because there are so many memories
1: attached to it. Absolutely. And people sometimes struggle with the decluttering and the what to let go of because people become very attached to their possessions and specifically the older generations. You know, when you're talking about parents who are in their sort of 80s, Maybe their nineties. You know, often they're the generation that have come through World War Two. They've suffered in terms of having lost all their possessions or they're used to running on a really tight budget. They don't like spending money. They hoard everything. You know, I had to clean up my mum's home. And she had just one whole cupboard full of Makona glass jars, coffee jars that she was hanging on to because she couldn't bring herself to get rid of them. But you know, when I had to help her move out of her home, there was a skip, like, like a whole recycle bin full of them. Um, because it's just the trauma in the life they've had. And so the decluttering can be really significant for them. But I usually say, look, what do you love? What do you need to bring with you? Um, what can you take photos of so you've got a reminder of it, even though you physically don't have it? Um, and it's about having to, you have to let go of stuff. So whether you like it or not, you're moving into a smaller place, break it into what's rubbish that you can recycle, get rid of, what stuff that you can put into, um, you know, the op shop or the salvos, what stuff that you want to allocate to family, and then what stuff that you might even put on the front of the street and let the neighbors walk past and help themselves to it. And then also, you know, do you need to do anything with your garden in terms of tidying that up and and getting a gardener in and and a skip been to clear all that out so that you're preparing the property for sale so it can be a traumatic process it can be a slow process sometimes they need people to help them and there are specialists who will help people downsize and clutter clear um, so it's about knowing and understanding what you need what expert help you need and just being willing to take it. Okay
0: so when we're thinking that,
1: about downsizing from the big family home to something more manageable um,
0: you know they, they essentially go for As you said, the units and the apartments, um, maybe they still can't... I don't like the idea of a body corporate. You find a lot don't like the idea of a body corporate? Absolutely, but it's just,
1: it is what it is. And to be fair, there are some amazing apartments out there that are the equivalent of a house, but they might come with ten or $15,000 worth of owner's corporation fees. And that's a consequence of having a concierge there full time. It's a consequence of having a swimming pool and a gym and, and lifts and things that need maintenance. And particularly the smaller the building, uh, the fewer residents there are to allocate the cost against. And also the quality of the build the calibre of um, the property, the design, whether an architect is involved, some of these actually make incredibly good investments. You know, I bought recently for clients in a building in the city, very well-known architect, the apartment that we bought for my client had been held onto for 20 years. So this is a building where it's mostly owner occupiers very tightly held. When the building originally was sold or the apartment was originally sold in 94, I think or around that, uh, it was sold for 450,000 and we bought it for 1.7 million. So some of these apartments make exceptional investments in spite of having to pay those owner's corp fees and others don't. So you've really got to understand what to look for and get some advice on what's a good investment, what's not a good investment.
0: And I guess if, if you're really, really- how strung about buying paying them? There's lots of little people's backyards with you know on a corner blocks where they might be just a, a 250 square metre little block, and it's just enough garden and it's just enough size house to to feel like you've got your independence, but not so much the big family home.
1: Yeah, and for some people that's a perfect solution. If they're in a suburb where they're selling from something that's significantly bigger and they're moving to an area or a neighbourhood that's significantly smaller um, but within their price range, that's definitely an option. So I know people who've gone from massive houses in Hawthorne to a significantly smaller 300-square-metre block in Middle Park. It's still a $3 million property, but from their perspective, they're downsizing from, you know, 1,000 square metres and they've got extra money left over from a retirement point of view. Um, So it really depends on the individual, their budget, what they're willing to manage because a small house still requires maintenance, even if it's only a small garden and that's why a lot of people do choose apartments as an alternative because you just don't have to maintain a garden. Yes, I know that I'd rather be um, jet sitting around the world than gardening. <laughs>
0: now, um, decluttering. Now, you've, we've, we've slightly touched on this, but yes, it, it it's the biggest probably downfall of trying to – or it, it, it probably is the most time-consuming part of going through that process after you've made that decision to – to sell your home, to sell the family home. Um, can you just go through some of the processes that you've been through with with telling people how to declutter effectively?
1: Yeah, well, as I said, some people are very reticent to do anything in a hurry. Mm. They want to take their own time, uh, which means they're sort of putting the brakes on a little bit. They've come to the conclusion, but they're still emotionally struggling with it. So they want to, you know, take their time to do what they need to do, which means – they're not in a hurry and nothing's going to happen quickly so that's where you might bring an expert in to help you but again as I said before it's what's rubbish what's op shop what can you take what's the size of the property that you plan to move into so what furniture will you need what furniture do you need to let go of because it won't fit alternatively you can put stuff in storage but that's just potentially going to cost you thousands of dollars a year to have stuff in a box that you may never see again that your family are just going to have to go through and sort out down the track that may inherently not have any value to them and they're going to get rid of anyway. So it's really important to try and take the emotion out of it and just be pragmatic. And then, of course, the challenge comes when you've got a couple. Where one person's ready to move and the other one's reticent and then you've got, you know, to try and get the couple on the same path of heading in the right direction. So, I think sometimes you need to bring in a counsellor in that situation to legitimately help them work through whatever those blocks are that are stopping them moving forward and dealing with any fears that are coming up as well. Because a lot of the resistance to change is fear-based and if someone's moving from their home to a, an independent living unit within a, a retirement village that may or may not have a nursing home there, people have got a perception that it's this horrible lifestyle that they're going to be living. But I would honestly encourage them to go and look and investigate and see if their friends are in any of these places and really understand that some of them are exceptional facilities. And once they do that, then it literally can make the decluttering easier.
0: Yes, I know. Um, like I'll,
1: I'll, I'll dub my mum in for this, but she's probably got about –
0: I don't know, six different types of crockery sets and each one represents a different era and she holds on to each one like who cares if they're chips who cares if you know but they they mean something because of each era but it's like okay think about how much entertaining are you going to be doing in your little place are you going to be having the 20 people over for christmas dinner or not so as you said, be pragmatic about those sort of things.
1: Yeah, but you can also pitch it to them that, um, yes, be pragmatic, but these are collectibles now, so you might be able to sell it and make money, you might be able to donate it to a vintage shop where there are people who will love it like you do and they'll respect it like you do and it will live another life Yeah. rather than just um, putting it, you know, into a skip bin or donating it and not knowing where it's going. So it's just about, again telling them to be pragmatic and pick your favourite and then let's find someone else who's going to love it or a vintage store who can, you know, send it to another home and, you know, it'll be taken care of. Yeah, there are probably some good questions there. Yeah, and I guess that's the, you know, you've got to pitch it to them properly.
0: Pitch it to them so that they know that their stuff will enjoy that, you know, next chapter in somebody else's kitchen.
1: Yeah. Mum, if we can find someone who's going to love this crockery like you, would you be willing to let it go? Yeah. Okay, let's look at a vintage shop. Let's see if we can donate it to someone who's willing to help someone else find it and love it. Let's send it to an op shop. Let's find a way of sharing it with someone else so it's got longevity but you just simply can't hang on to it. There's no room for that. Sounds like a plan.
0: All oh, good. I find that a lot of
1: people get really, really scared that a developer's going to buy their property. So... What sort of conversations should we have there? Well, it just depends on what their property is, where it is, the condition that it's in, have they maintained it, has it been renovated. So if it's a really old home on a significant block of land that's had no maintenance whatsoever and the thing's fallen apart, well, chances are it probably will be a developer and there's nothing you can do about that because the property hasn't been maintained. And I suppose you need to talk to the family about the fact that, you know, someone might develop it but the house in the condition that it is, is in isn't habitable and it's not safe. And so it's not realistic to think that somebody else will move in and live in it in the state that it's in. And if someone develop it, develops it, they're going to build two beautiful new properties. That's going to accommodate two families. So, what a lovely gift to give to the community because there's a massive shortage of housing. The other option might be they've got a fantastic home that's a bit dated, but it might be a mid-century style or a period style that just needs someone to love it and come in and renovate it. And then that's the conversation you're having with your parents. So everything is dependent on what it is, where it is, who the demographic is that's likely to buy it. Um, And a lot of properties, you know, in recent times when minimum rental standards have come in and people have had to sell properties because they couldn't afford to meet those standards, a lot of 1st home buyers and home buyers bought them because they want the opportunity to rent them and make their own home. So, it's just understanding who the potential buyer might be, bringing in a vendor advocate to help pick the right agents with the right skill set who can give the right advice around the sales campaign, what to do, what not to do, where to spend money, where not to spend money. That's that's worth getting a vendor av- advocate in to help with that. Sounds good. Some people, their homes aren't, they, they're so used to the
0: condition that it's in that they just don't see beyond that. Um, so where do we draw the line of, okay, this needs just a few renovations, repairs, if you like, um, or just leave it as is?
1: Well, that's dependent on the selling agent you engage, and you have to be careful. Some of them will have you spend an absolute bucket because they want you to make it as easy as possible to sell the property. Mm. And so they might be giving you advice where you're overspending and overcapitalizing when in fact you may not need to. So, practically, you know, obviously you need to declutter, you might need to pull furniture out and style it and put your furniture in storage to give it the best possible chance to sell. You might need to paint it, you might need to do some basic repairs, but even just a really good paint job and a really good paint job over existing cabinetry that's dated in colour and style can make a massive difference. So it's just about making the properties appealing as possible to buyers and ideally, you know, potentially home buyers who will come in and see it as their first home, their dream home, their family home. But you do need to get advice on that. And again, getting a vendor advocate in to help you pick those agents and Quantify the advice you've been given and help you work through what's a good investment in terms of fixing, painting, repairing, cleaning, and what's overcapitalizing that's not necessary. Yeah. So,
0: like, sometimes these homes have been in the same family for, like, 40,
1: 50, 60 years. Um, and do you see
0: you see the cracks forming you see the you know the wallpaper peeling off you see um, you know even maybe a restumping possibly you know leading to one side but like it's a buyers market at the moment so most agents are trying to sell properties which are fully renovated on the basis that there's shortage of materials. Everything's going up. No one wants to pay any more than they have to. Um, so they're easy to sell the renovated properties than it is the ones that are needing a bit of work.
1: That's right. But you can still sell a dream. So we had a Van Dravisky client with a beautiful property in Brunswick, mm-hmm. Popular Street, um, and it did need some money spent on it. It had that dated kitchen. It had that dated colour scheme. It was that yellowy, peachy sort of theme throughout. There was wallpaper that was peeling off, you know, in some of the bedrooms. And the plaster was really fragile. So there's no way in hell we wanted to take that wallpaper off. So the advice of the agent and the solution was just go through, paint the whole thing white. Uh, paint over the cupboards. Every, again, everything was just done in this white tone to lighten, brighten, make it feel bigger. Um, Some very basic pieces of furniture styling was brought in and it just made a massive difference to the property. You know, the front facade was painted because there were some rotten boards and so forth. So that was, you know, patched up and painted and a couple of boards were replaced. So it looked really fresh. The garden was tidied a little bit. And that's the difference between selling it and not selling it. So it was still a property that needed to be renovated, but it was habitable. It was appealing. um, It got sold. And the client got the outcome that she was looking for because we'd already bought her her downsized property at that stage. And, you know, it was a period over a few months where, you know, she we did the buying and then transitioned into the selling concurrently alongside that. Um, but, you know, ultimately it worked. But it was without going crazy and over the top but it was still convincing her that she did have to invest that amount of money to get the best possible outcome
0: yeah so in that instance she wouldn't go into bathrooms and kitchens it's just purely the the, the, the um the paint job yeah um now gardens they can also make or break a, a sale uh, mowing weeding all those fun things um you know just a bit of Black mulch really makes a garden pop, doesn't it?
1: Absolutely. And again, with another vendor advocacy client, you know, it wasn't just the mulch, it was cutting back and it was actually painting some of the fences a really lovely charcoal colour so the green popped against it. So you don't have to spend a lot of money, but paint is so transformational, whether it's inside a house, whether it's on a fence, whether it's outside a house. It's knowing and understanding how to use it. And then, you know, it could even be pressure washing, um a courtyard, you know, the the paving on a courtyard. But it's just what's the minimum you can spend to have the biggest impact in terms of the aesthetic of the property so it appeals to the home buyer. Um, And again, getting the right advice around that and the right agent will be conscious of not having you waste money and they'll give you really good advice. Yeah, which is always good.
0: Now, this is the big controversial one. How do you choose an agent to sell your home based on the fact that you are downsizing? You haven't probably done this for 20, 30, 40, 50 years Mm. and –
1: There's a reputation out there of real estate agents who, you know, they're a bit dodgy. Yeah, look, like any profession, whether it's selling or even in buyer advocacy, you've got different people with different levels of experience and expertise. So obviously people who have been doing it for years and decades and they've got hundreds or thousands of transactions under their belt. Uh, means they've got significant experience. They've built up their toolbox or their toolkit of expertise and knowledge. They know what to do under varying circumstances to tap into a particular skill set or tool to generate a result and an outcome. So everyone's going to have a great sales pitch and everyone can talk about the results they've achieved. But certainly what I do as a vendor advocate, I ask a series of 12 questions that go to the heart of, okay, them demonstrating their expertise to me under a variety of different circumstances so I know what's going to happen before it happens, how they're going to manage it um, and what their process will be to deal with a variety of different scenarios. And so it's during that process that I can help ascertain who's the person that's got the skill set So that if there's one buyer and one buyer only, because in some manner the property is compromised and it's not going to fly off the shelf, who's that one person that's got that skill set that can handle that one buyer and get the outcome? They are gold. And I'm sorry, but if you have to pay them their full fee, well, you damn well pay them that because without that expertise, you're not going to get a result. Good words to say, that's for sure. Are there any other steps we should consider
0: when we're downsizing? Somebody who's in their 60s, 70s and...
1: I guess, their family members, you know, might have concerns about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I guess, do you buy first or you sell first? Well, that's totally dependent on your own personal circumstances and I guess your risk profile because there's risk in both. You know, if you buy first and then can't sell, are you using bridging finance? Have you got that ready to go? Have you got cash in the bank? Are you taking money out of super to do that? or conversely if you're selling first you know you want to look at potentially a longer settlement time frame so you've got the frame to then go in time frame to go into the market and then buy and then if for some reason you can't buy have you got a backup plan in terms of where you're going to stay for a few months while you're doing that crossover so everything depends on the individual circumstances budget access to cash access to borrowing um, as i said whether it's cash in the bank super money, whatever the case may be. So those things are risks that need to be ascertained and considered. Um, obviously, family can get involved and take over, um, and that can be fraught with all sorts of danger because everyone suddenly has an opinion. Everyone else is suddenly an expert. Kids want to, you know, have their five cents worth, and it can actually derail the process because people can suddenly compete because they see their inheritance. Um you know being sold in front of their eyes, and they want to make sure Mum and Dad get the most amount of money because that 's their inheritance and i 've had situations where you know I, I had a financial advisor refer clients to me they 'd already spoken to an agent, the agent had absolutely overquoted to get the business, and I highlighted that to them and I showed them evidence to support that. they understood where I was coming from they engaged me, and then all of a sudden one kid 's come in and taken over and you know, got their best buddy or somebody involved. And and all of a sudden, it just turned into this absolute nightmare. And I was evil because I was trying to do ABC, which was beyond me. But you know, the irony was, lo and behold, they ended up selling it for exactly what I said it was worth in the first place. And I proved myself to be right, even though I was made out to be doing the wrong thing. Because, you know, they wanted to hear what they wanted to hear rather than hear the truth. So it can get really messy when others get involved. Um, And it's really important to, I suppose, when family's going on that journey, they need to obviously be clear about if they're including family in it or not. And uh, if they are including family in it, who's included? Who are the decision makers? uh, What's everyone's agenda? You know, because not everyone has... A legitimately good-hearted agenda which is where you know we often come in as an advocate to help people and you know guide them through a process so it's really getting clear about how that's going to work who's involved who has ultimate say and then of course it's a whole different kettle of fish if you've got parents that are um, incapacitated and can't make decisions and someone's got a power of attorney. And look, I've, I've been through that with both of my parents. I've been a power of attorney for both of them as they've gone from their own home to independent living to nursing home. And there's so much complexity in terms of what needs to be done and what needs to be considered throughout the whole journey. And you know, you, you're responsible for making really significant decisions for your family. And you really want someone who is going to advocate for your parents and protect them and make sure that wherever they're going to and whatever environment they're in is going to meet their needs and it's going to be a pleasant environment for them because at the end of the day if they've entrusted you to be their power of attorney to look after them regardless of your relationship with them whether it's good or bad you don't want to accept that if you're not willing to do that for them. Yes I know it's another
0: dimension isn't it when you've got families involved and the other issue that we have with with families is you know this is the family home this they they had these images that they their kids will get a chance to play in the same space that they did or sleep in the same bedrooms as they did or or whatever and and then they get completely emotional about the fact that this sp- Stalwart, if you like, this, this thing that was part of the family and it's all they've ever known for the last 40, 50, 60 years, whatever it is, is about to go.
1: Yeah, the interesting thing about that, whether you're buying or selling, whether you're ups- upgrading or downsizing – People don't make good decisions when they're emotional. Yeah, Yeah? and when you've got multiple people who are emotional trying to influence outcomes, it is very traumatic. Particularly as parents get older, you know they they just want peace and quiet. They just want things to happen simply. They don't want to be beleaguered with emotional manipulation and drama and whatever may happen. Um, So it's really just a case of. If they're going to work with an advocate, a vendor advocate in particular, with the the selling and then the buying, or a property advocate who's got the skill set to do both with them, and we do a lot of that, it's important that that person helps take the emotion out of it, helps guide them, is neutral in the advice, factors in what their needs are, and then just helps them across that transition across those, both of those transactions, because they're both massive transactions. They're both life changing in their own result. Um, And, you know, you want someone on your side supporting you, helping you make good decisions rather than emotional ones. Yes, that's for sure. There's, um, yeah, you need to sort of create that line of,
0: okay, this is a business decision really because that's what it is. It's a business of moving forward and making life easier for them. Yeah. Um, Now we're going to have a bit of a small break. After the break we're going to talk to Miriam more about strategies when selling your home to downsize. Mm You're listening to Real Estate Right. I'm Sue Langaner and we are talking to the lovely Miriam Sankula from Property Mavens about how to downsize effectively. So Miriam, some downsizers need a deposit for a retirement village or nursing home. So if this is the case and it usually happens after a fall or something that, you know, and the family goes, we can't have mum living by herself anymore, we can't, you know, and it's it's a very... um, Quick decision, and but we need to free up some equity really, really quickly. Now, what selling methods should we choose if we have? Um, if we've basically chosen our nursing home and we need to get that deposit?
1: So most facilities, firstly, you're not buying uh, a room or a unit. You're buying uh, a licence to occupy that. So it's not a title, it's a licence. Most facilities will enable you to put a small holding deposit down and then effectively you can move your family member into that facility and then you're just paying interest on the balance owing until you have the funds available to pay it down. So first and foremost, you can act quickly if you need to under those circumstances. And then the method of sale will be totally dependent upon the market conditions at the time, the property, the location, the buyer appeal, um, uh, whether or not any works need to be done to it. um, And all of those normal considerations have to be taken into account. So the best thing is to do the research, get your family member into the right facility first. Um, then because that's a lot of work in itself you know there's a lot of competition for a lot of places now and you might be putting in five ten fifteen applications you just never know and as the population ages there there aren't enough facilities being built for that to happen so uh, sort that out first because that's complex in its own right and then based on all those things that I mentioned go through that journey of Getting the right agent with the right skill set and the right marketing strategy for the market conditions and the property at the time to help you go through the sales process. Yeah, sounds
0: good. Now, say we're not in that point where it's a dire straits, we need to find something um, to because our quality of life is deteriorating. I guess what's the best strategy for selling first? Like, obviously you don't want to prolong it too long but you kind of need to make timelines don't you because i've got to say okay we're going to spend the next couple of months sorting through all the stuff um we need to get that agent happening does it give us some ideas or talk to a few?
1: Yeah. So again, you're getting a few agents in to look at the property, to give you an appraisal. You have to be aware that no one's overquoting to buy the listing. (laughs) That happens all the time. You know, I'm dealing with some vendor advocacy clients now where they had a local agent came in. He significantly overquoted to get the listing and gave them a really cheap fee. He had the opportunity to sell it off market. As soon as he got the listing, he fobbed it off to the rest of the team. And nothing's happened in the space of two months. So, you know, it's a bit hard to sell a secret. And in this case, it was a block of land. So uh, we're now helping these clients take it to a public campaign, bringing in three exceptional agents to interview. And then we'll go down the path of selling it, even in the current market conditions and see how that goes. So it's really important to get the right agents in. Do the right levels of interviewing, understand if they're the right person, get their feedback, be conscious of not overcapitalizing and overspending, get the their instructions on what they should be downsizing and, and decluttering rather, what to declutter in which room. I've done that with clients before. I've gone from room to room to room and said, all right, you know, these are the things you need to let go of and that can be, do with a bit of a pain or a bit of a repair. And then um, you can actually be doing that before you list the property for sale and then of course you can concurrently keep doing it whilst you've listed the property for sale and the campaign's about to commence so long as it's neat and tidy and presentable for photos yeah so it's just working out that timeline work out like how comfortable you are with that
0: timeline i guess Mm -hmm. um and you know if it's six months 12 months whatever it is but you know some some take two three years i'm sure it's, it's, but it's a process. It's, it, it's a letting go process for them, isn't it?
1: Well, look, the two or three years, they're just not ready. If anyone's taking that long, they're not ready. And maybe they do need some counselling and someone independent to come in and have a talk with them and help them work through whatever's blocking them emotionally. Or it might be practical from a dollar perspective. Maybe they're waiting to get to a certain age or they're waiting for funds to get funds out of super. Um, but, you know, you can basically... Start the process and have it ready to go and list it on the market within a couple of months, um, providing you do the work that needs to be done in that time frame. But we've also had clients who've said, Look, I can't put it on the market yet until I'm on my annual leave, and that's two months away. But in the meantime, we've gone out and bought them a property, they've known what they've needed to do on the sales side, they've started decluttering in that time and getting rid of stuff. And then by the time that you know, long service leave has come about, it's just a case of moving them out, doing the painting, bringing in the furniture and we're ready to go. So
0: part of the strategy is looking at
1: settlement terms. So
0: if we aren't going into the nursing home or the retirement village, which obviously have their own constraints, um, you know, what sort of settlement terms should we be looking for in terms of buying, if you're buying first or selling first?
1: Yeah, well, if you're buying first and you've got the cash to buy or you've got bridging finance, then you want a, a settlement time frame that potentially is as long as you can get so that you know, you're not out of pocket for too long um, if you've got bridging finance from when you buy to when you start selling and settle. Um, You know, it might be 60 days, it might be 90 days, it might be 120 days. Same with the selling. If you're selling first and you haven't bought, you want to look for a longer period or earlier by mutual agreement. Um, And then it's just, again, case by case, because every other vendor's got their own requirements and every buyer's got their own requirements. So it's just really trying to find a win-win solution on each side, the buying and selling, to facilitate the best possible outcome for you while you 're transitioning, and that 's the thing
0: like I know when I bought my first house, and like we 're talking twenty four years ago, um, and my dad said to me oh i can 't believe you 're getting a loan for over two hundred thousand dollars because he'd never had a loan over two thousand and and the whole concept of of bridging finance for you know which could be in that two or three hundred thousand dollars for that deposit is just absolutely frightening. Um,
1: for people of that generation. Absolutely. And that's not the generation that's likely necessary to need it. Having said that, my client who did um, buy first, then sell, did have the bridging finance. She was gainfully employed. Um, she wasn't retired by any means and she could afford to do it. So, again, it's just what do you need to do? And if you can't do X, what are your Y and Z options? What are the implications of those Y and Z options? And then finding what's going to work for you. So it's always about having options. And if this doesn't happen then, well, then what's your backup plan? So it's not just, hey, we're going to buy, hey, we're going to sell. Because there's a transition and a crossover between the two, it's if that doesn't happen then, well, then what do you need to consider? And do you have a backup plan? So I'm talking with a gentleman now. He wants to sell his apartment and buy a different one. And his biggest issue is he does need to move out. He does need to do some work. He does need to put stuff in storage. And then if he sells um, and is a little bit homeless between the selling and the buying, he's now got to go and work out where can he live for a few months. Um, So that's his homework that he's looking into now before we get the ball rolling. So, again, you just have to understand the things that could happen and have a backup plan for them. I guess, like I know
0: from personal experience, like when my my – mum's been in the house now for probably about 12 13 years but when they sold their last house they refused to move anything Oh, we can't we can't do it ourselves we're not going to ask you know family to help out we're not going to get people to help us because we're too you know careful with our pennies and uh in the end it cost them because they ended up selling the house to a real estate agent who knew they had a
1: bargain and that's it. That's what you've got to educate them. I mean, I'm pretty direct. <laughs> yeah. And I remember saying to my mother years ago, and this sounds really horrible, but I said, Mum, you know, you're at this age now. You've got two choices. You either start looking for an independent facility now and a retire, you know, a nursing home attached to it now while you've got the ability to make the choice, if you don't want to do that, then you leave it to us and if something happens at the time where we've got no choice, we have to have act urgently, we'll do the best we can but you'll probably just go wherever we can get you, providing it's nice. Yeah. And she looked at me mortified. I said, mum, they're the two options. You take responsibility and you do it or this is the consequence and this is what we'll do but we're going to come from a position of urgency rather than taking our time and doing research. And, and you're putting us in that position by not taking action yourself. So it's up to you. And look, fortunately, we got an amazing place, managed to look after her, you know, because I'm buying property all the time and used to making, you know, fast decisions and, and doing research and things happened really quickly and, and it was all sorted for her and, you know, went to Queensland, cleaned out her place, put it on the market for sale and three months later it was all sort of resolved. But, um, yeah, you just have to explain carefully to your parents, you know, do you want to spend the money to pay a removalist $1,000 or do you want to lose $50,000 on the sale? Because they're the two options. Which one would you like? Like literally, keep it simple, that's the conversation. It might smack them in the face metaphorically, but if they don't get the consequence of their actions, then they will pay a significant price, exactly like you've described. Mm-hmm. But at least you give them the option, you forewarn them, and then, if they ch- don't choose the option that's the better one, then at the end of the day, they can't complain about the consequence of a bad decision.
0: Are there any other key things that you should that you find downsizers have trouble with when they are looking at selling?
1: Yeah, people load an emotional premium into the selling price that they want, so they they put they have an emotional attachment and they add an emotional loading to the purchase price of the property, sometimes to self-sabotage the sale because they can't quite let go and other times because that's just human nature. You know, they're always going to see their property as being worth more than something else in the street even though the other one can be a standout by comparison and legitimately worth more money. Because they apply this attitude of, well, hey, this property's got all this, and I've lived here for this long, so automatically, you know, I want X before I leave. The biggest issue is people will often kill the sale by pricing it according to what they want or what they need rather than what the market's willing to pay. So I work with buyers and go, what you want to pay is irrelevant. If you don't meet the market, you won't buy. And then when I work with vendors, it's a similar thing. What you want may not be where the market's willing to go. And if you're not willing to meet the market, then quite frankly, you've made a decision not to sell. So I had clients that I worked with over the last 12 months and where we started, the market was high and then progressively six months later, the market had significantly dropped by 200000 They were still at where the previous price was. Um, The agent and I made it very clear that the market was not there. We put it out to um, a pre-market campaign. Uh, got buyers through. All the feedback came in exactly at the price point that we said it would be. And they consequently decided they weren't selling at that price, which is their decision. Mm -hmm. But then I consequently terminated our agreement because it's like, there's no point me helping you. You're not going to meet the market. You're not going to take advice. You're obviously not genuinely interested in selling. So all the best. I'll leave it with you. You know, because I can't add value when someone's not willing to meet a market and they're not going to sell if they don't so it's just a waste of people's time and energy and I feel sorry for the agent because I'm more than happy for the agent to continue dealing with them and hope that he eventually gets the listing but he needs to manage them and you know I'm, I'm happy for him to do that but there comes a point in time where you gotta you know cut the um Cut the, cut the cord and let people live with the consequences of their decision if they're not being realistic. I'll tell you a story about a um, house I did in Hampton East. It was one
0: street off Nepean Highway and it was actually in an activity zone and the lady had been there for 35 years and very, very house proud. Um, pre-renovated 15 years prior and believed that the house was suitable for a family. Only a family would buy it. Why are you selling? Oh, because they're putting a 10-storey thing across the road well, if this is an activity zone, guess what? We should probably appeal to those developers who's going to – no, 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 my house is too good for that. And she did not let me put in what zoning it was in. She wanted a family. I said, well, you know, we can also appeal to a developer who can see that it's very rentable now while they go buy property, house next door to the house next door to that, house next door to that. You know, while they're waiting, it's called land banking. Oh, no, no, we can't go there. And I talked to the real estate agent about it and I said, look, you know, it's she's just not giving herself the best benefits for this property. And she goes, look, I know, but she just won't let go.
1: And look, you know, sometimes you can't help someone help themselves. Mm. You can educate them. You can guide them. Um, I don't know. Did she end up selling the property? I haven't looked that up. <laughs> Yeah, and it's the same thing. You know, it's like we work with buyers, and you can give them all the advice in the world, but if they don't take it, and they miss out on the first one, and they realise they should have taken your advice. Usually, they'll listen second time round, um, which is unfortunately a waste of their time, mm. and, and they've missed a potentially better opportunity. If you have a, a vendor who won't listen, in terms of who the target market is. Chances are they'll put it to market and won't sell and they need to revisit it or change the copy or hopefully they haven't burnt the opportunity because, you know, you get one chance to put it to the market first and foremost. If it sits around, it goes stale. Um, And so what she was effectively doing was taking away the selling agent's toolkit to sell the property because she had a fixed idea who was going to buy it, and if she was then going to base the decision on selling based on it had to be a home buyer, then of course she's restricting the capacity to sell it even further. So sometimes they're just not a good client. No. Yes, anyway. Well thank you so
0: much, Miriam. Um if real estate right listeners want to get in touch with you to use your
1: services for any either vendor or buyer advocacy, how can they contact you? Absolutely. So the website is Property Mavens, M A V E N S dot com dot AU. We offer free consultation or you can ring on zero three double nine double eight double two double six and we have Mavens throughout Victoria, New South Wales and Brisbane so we can help Listeners across those three states with buyer and vendor advocacy services, um, helping people buy and sell so they can seamlessly move forward into the next chapter of their lives.
0: Beautiful. And do you have a bit of a give, uh, giveaway for us as well?
1: Absolutely. I'm going to give you uh, another three copies of my best selling book, Property Prosperity. So um, you'll have those hard copies with you so people can. Um, obviously try and win those and we'll have all the details on how to win those on our social media
0: and in our show notes so thank you so much Miriam, for being on our show. Thank you. It's been lovely to be here again. Now, next week, we have Jade Carberry from First National Melton to talk to us about how to inspect a property on a time limit. With rental inspections, 15 minutes and houses for sale around 30, it doesn't give you a long time to make a life-changing decision. So download next week to find out how to be more effective in your inspections. Real Estate Right is brought to you by Real Copyright one of Melbourne's leading real estate copywriting services. This podcast is produced and written by me, Sue Langada, with the help of our social media expert, Jade Bomanis. We would like to thank Podbean for distributing this podcast, Zoom for the recording, Premium Beat for our theme music, and Francis Morello for our introduction. We would love for you to rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or on our website, realestateright.com.au. Thank you for listening to Real Estate Right. It's where buyers, sellers, renters and investors get their real estate right.